Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. I'm Kimberly, fully vaccinated and fully boosted Johnson in D.C. Today, my returning guest is author David Pepper. He's the former chairman of the Ohio Democratic Party, and we're going to be talking about his latest book, Laboratories of Autocracy, A Wake-Up Call from Behind the Lines. But before we get into our conversation... The Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast supported by listeners, and it's woman-run. It's patrons who keep the show going, so I am so grateful for each and every one of you. If you enjoy today's show, visit patreon.com slash startmeup. You'll see that I offer a bunch of different tiers, including one that has a much shorter intro and is completely ad-free. I do two free shows a week, Mondays and Wednesdays, and they're followed up by What's Up, a show only by me. Whatever I feel like talking about that particular day, it's kind of like a stream of consciousness. Again, just go to patreon.com slash start me up. Take a look at the different options. You can always upgrade later. You can also find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Just stop by the iTunes slash Apple podcast store, become a subscriber because it's free. And while you're there, please rate the show and leave a review. Now, please enjoy my conversation with David Pepper. Welcome back to the show, David. Thank you. Good to be back with you. Yes, it is. It's, it's, I'm glad you're here. You wrote a new book and we're going to talk about it. Um, but I just before we get into that, uh, would you just like refresh everybody, tell everybody who you are and what you do? Sure, um, that's a good question. I still got to figure <laughs> it all out myself. But I am a lawyer. I I've been in elected office in Ohio. Uh, I was on city council and and I was the county commissioner from this area mm-hmm. in Cincinnati. Uh, but but I later ran statewide several times in some tough years and ultimately. Uh, became chair of the Ohio Democratic Party. Uh, I've also written some novels along the way, mm-hmm. and I teach election law and voting rights along the way. So I've got, I call myself sort of a, a serial activist, sometimes mm-hmm. office holder, uh, who is uh, just, you know, very, very concerned about the state of our democracy. So I, yeah. as fast as I could, wrote a new book about it. I wish it were fiction like my others, but it's actually nonfiction and quite scary. Yeah, it's called Laboratories of Autocracy, a wake-up call from behind the lines. So um, let's just jump into that. What prompted you to write this book? So it's funny. So I was, you know, last time we talked, I was still chair of the party. Mm -hmm. And I stepped aside from that after about six years at the end of last year. And, you know, I've actually continued to have, you know, novels that I'm writing. And I would have never even told you six months ago i'd write another book in the meantime (laughs) but watching the scene in ohio and elsewhere and washington and as the book says you know a wake-up call from behind the lines i'm watching something happening which is so alarming Mm -hmm. that i started writing as fast as i could to do whatever i could and i'm only one person i want to overstate my influence but to say to people, especially beyond some of the states where, where I am and I write about, it's a lot worse in these places than you think. And as I did more and more research, the the, the downward trajectory in, in democracy in states like Ohio and uh, Tennessee and Wisconsin, you name it, is not only terrible and accelerating, it's also very similar to moments in other countries and our own country where democracy went into hibernation for generations. And so I wrote this book frantically and put it out frantically, trying to get people, you know, individuals within their own states, but also people in Washington to see that this is not the standard 
stuff we're used to seeing in politics. Yeah. This is not even that we'll talk about Jerry. We'll talk about gerrymandering, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. This is not the gerrymandering of 2011. Right. It's right. much worse. It's much more brutal. And if we're not careful, it will be much more permanent than anything mm -hmm. we've seen in our lifetimes. That's a really good point. And it's something that I'm noticing there are too many people out there who are, you know, complaining about the Democrats not doing em enough. And there was one person, one person specifically who commented it this way, but I'm seeing it echoed from other, just say Twitter users, basically like, oh, well, the, the Republicans are going to mess everything up and then the Democrats are going to come back and clean it up. And they're referring to 2022 and 2024. But what you just said is so we're not if the, if they take control, whether it's because of cheating, which, of course, it would be cheating. Um, or gerrymandering, which I guess isn't cheating, but it's a form of it. Um, they're not going to give it, but they're not going to have a fair election. And I don't know how many, I don't know if enough voters recognize that because it doesn't, it's not just Democrats now. It's it's just like in 2020 with Donald Trump, there were all these people, including conservatives who came out and voted for Joe Biden. They might've voted down ticket red, but they voted at the top blue because they just recognized Trump was horrible. But but I don't think they're right. always recognizing that the rest of them are now just marching in lockstep with this new fascist movement. But I just like, I want to just repeat, laboratories of autocracy, a wake up call from behind the lines. Now that is a dramatic title. So I'm just going to ask you, do you think it's really that bad in states around the country? Yeah, I, I, I really do. And, and I, you know, we have this long history of sort of, you know, in a glass half full Americana way saying, oh, you know, states, they're these laboratories of democracy and they do great things. And then they become, those things become national. And isn't that wonderful? And that has happened over the years. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the fight for marriage equality was a state by state sort of domino mm -hmm. that kept falling or the, the New Deal, some of those ideas came from states. And we even know that Mitt Romney's health care plan went national. But hmm. there's a much darker side of our history, too. Yeah. And that is that states can do very bad things to their own people. And as they do those bad things, other states can do the, can learn from them. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that. You know, it, 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 that was Jim Crow, basically. Well, we're seeing it again now that these states, and it it's really accelerated since 2010, they are they are literally taking a battle axe to, to to central pillars of democracy all the time and as as the book says they're operating essentially as laboratories meaning mm -hmm. that, you know, especially in states where they've rigged their own state house districts they take these steps without any accountability they aren't going to lose because of them and so they're always doing these different steps all over and the other states are all learning from one another so it gets worse and worse yeah. and worse wow. and there's no accountability so it just keeps going and it's and we're at the point now and this is again it's going to sound bleak but i do get into some positive stuff in the book okay we are now at the tail end in ohio and many states of a generation of state house majorities who themselves have never really been in a democracy like they didn't get elected through any competitive elections. Mm -hmm. Their re-elections were guaranteed. So their own personal journey in politics, unlike mine where I had to run a city council and county commission race and battle to win, these are people who've never actually worried about the voters in their own you know, ascent to power. Mm -hmm. They've also figured out that if they're paying attention, if the voters actually had a real say, a lot of them wouldn't be in office. 
and they know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's you know, so they also are the people that control the levers of our elections, whether it be presidential electors or dele- or, or districts or voting rules. So you have a group of people who literally themselves have never been in a dem- democratic system. They're scared of democracy because it means they'd lose because they're so extreme. Well, they're, they are now, you know, their mindset is, well, let's keep that going. Mm-hmm. And how did they keep it going? Making sure we don't have robust dem- democracy going forward. So I think the consequences of, of a, a generation of majorities in these state houses who have never really been democracy are far more warped than people really appreciate. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it's really, I think, a dangerous moment that the people in charge of our elections in the end are people who themselves have never really been in a de- democratic sort of governance. I want to ask you, because I don't know about this. I don't know enough to even talk about it. But Kyle Griffin tweeted out the other day, federal and state investigators <clears throat> investigators are examining an attempt to breach Ohio's county, Ohio County's election network that's strikingly similar to similar to a Republican fueled incident in Colorado. Data in both instances were distributed at a symposium hosted by Mike Lindell. Somebody else commented and said it wasn't a mere attempt. The perpetrator smuggled unauthorized hardware into a government official's locked office. The device was then actually used while hooked up, uh, while hooked into the secure elections system network. So this, they're saying that this was not. Do you know about this? I don't know much about it, but what you've just read, I mean, it is worrisome. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's especially worrisome to hear. I mean, it's bad enough if it's a foreign power, but if right. we all of a sudden have stuff like that ending up in, in Mike Lindell's hands, right? Yeah, it's scary. Um, and you know, I've on our voter systems and our voter databases and all that. So that you know, that's one other wrinkle uh, of, of what's happening. My my bigger wor- here, my biggest worry, though, honestly, is if they. You know, and, and I, I phrase it this way. We spent a lot of time worrying about Margie Taylor Greene <laughs> and Lauren Boebert and this guy Madison Cawthorn and obviously Paul Gosar and mm-hmm. is what he says every day is horrible. But here's what scare, should scare people. Those people aren't passing laws right now. They're in the minority. There are people, hundreds of them, just like them, who are not who are in majorities in state houses passing laws. And there yeah. is there is radicalized and as right wing and as against democracy as those very infamous people right now. Mm-hmm. And so what scares me, and I've written about election systems and all that, is if it with enough time, they could change the rules and finagle with elections mm-hmm. in a way that you could run a quote unquote clean election in 24. But if they've rigged all the districts and, and suppressed enough vote. The result of that election may be incredibly tainted mm-hmm. because of what they've done in the three years intervening, and that's really what my book's about. Is it's 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 and if you look around the world, the term is competitive autocracy, wow. which is a country that that is as in essence a one party rule, one person rule, but it looks like a democracy because they're actually having elections. But most aspects of those elections mm-hmm. are predetermining the outcome. So they it feels like a, a, a democracy, but in the end it isn't. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, people show up to vote for Putin, he wins every time, right? Right, right. Or right. Hungary is the latest model that Tucker Carlson yes. and CPAC are celebrating. My worry is that we are 
we, we are reaching that point in state houses across the country. And if those state houses have anything to do with it, they want that to be what's happening at the national level across right. the country. It, so it feels like it. So it's not it doesn't look like anyone rigged anything. Hmm. But in the end, the people's vote didn't matter. Yeah. And these same people are in power no matter what happens. I mean, one example I go through in the book, you know, a majority of voters in Michigan and Wisconsin voted for Democrats for their state house in 2018. Well, both state houses, because of gerrymandering, remained in a strong majority hands of the other party. Mm-hmm. That's that's a competitive autocracy. Yeah. The election isn't re- reflected in the actual governance of the states. That's that's a very and and that's in in this current wave of gerrymandering that's going to happen more and more if we don't stop it. Right. Wow. So um, there is a connection that you make between the attacks on democracy and the decline of public outcomes in these states. So we usually talk about these two things as if they're separate, but you're basically saying they're not. No, I, I and this is this is what's you know frustrating being from some being in Ohio Mm -hmm. where I see rural towns dying and I see Democrats struggling to to talk to these rural places. What's so frustrating is there's a connection. One, that the very people they're voting for are not serving them well. Mm -hmm. You know, these small towns and dying communities, they need infrastructure. They need good education. They need health care they need broadband mm-hmm. um they need unions and what's what's amazing to watch is the people they elect don't provide for any of those things right in fact almost every vote they take is counter to what these communities need well in a normal world of politics if you vote against your community again and again and again you know sometimes they'll vote they'll reward you for other reasons and that that happens but in this case, they literally know they can never lose. And we, we, I give, I give an instance in the book where a small town near Cincinnati called Manchester is just cratering. It's the saddest place you've ever seen—a ghost town. Um, the main street is a block from the Ohio River, but it looks like it's, you know, it hasn't had any new anything since the fifties, nineteen fifties. The citizens of that community asked for a meeting with their state senator and said. Mr. Senator, what are you going to do about what's happening? We want to turn our town around. He told them, well, sometimes you have to move. Oh. So he's the elected guy. You know, they should tell him to leave, not the right. other way. <clears throat> but in a world of gerrymandering, these people literally get to vote for policy after policy to destroy these towns. And then they're so you know comfortable in their gerrymandered districts, they can even tell their own citizens that they should leave. And, and, and that's just, you know, so I think there's a direct connection between oh, one other thing, part of these state house cultures uh, endemic to this paid to this uh, gerrymandered rigged elections. And the fact that most people can't name their state Senator, I get a state house member. And I get into that in the book is also clearly corruption. I mean, mm-hmm. these state houses are corrupt all over the country. And sometimes it's, it's egregious corruption that leads to people being arrested. But most times, even if it's not that, it's sort of a broader pay to play. You know, you do what the private lobbyists and interests want, whether they're utilities or telecom or, you know, for-profit charter school scams. And so not only do these people not feel any accountability back to their towns, but what they vote on in those state houses 
is usually taking public assets and giving them over to large private interests. Hmm. And, the, and the citizens of these towns pay the price. You know, in Ohio, they've given out tax breaks at the high end for years. Mm-hmm. How do they pay for it? They took money from local community uh, funds, local, local government funds. Uh, they, they, they gave millions to the biggest donor who ran a, a for-profit online school scam. Where did it come from? The public schools in their districts. Wow. And so they, they literally are spending. Now, now, why can they do that? Most people don't know who they are, and they have gerrymandered districts, so they can't lose. So they really have no incentive to, to, to deliver strong public outcomes, and that's why public outcomes in states like Ohio are cratering. Like terribly, mm-hmm. healthcare, schools, education, student debt—all the—all those figures are going the wrong direction. Doesn't, but none of these people are held accountable for any of it. What? What do they have an incentive to do? Keep the big donors happy, so they're giving public funds and public assets to the private players who give the money, and that's the incentive system. So there's a direct tie to a lack of democracy and the collapse of these small towns. And, and Democrats need to figure out how to start making that case because we know we're getting crushed right. in rural parts of this country, 80, 20. Well, if you start pointing out that the reason this small town is dying is because they've rigged their districts so there's no accountability and they're giving your dollars, your preciously few dollars to scammers and big donors, and that's why your main street looks like hell or your school is underperforming, you start to make the case that as to why they should consider someone else. Uh, but but I, I and so there's a direct correlation between this, you know, lack of democracy in these state houses and the terrible outcomes. You know, the second the first chapter of my book is all about how Ohioans are seeing a wonderful state historically collapsing in front of their eyes when it comes to almost every, every way you can measure, you know, public performance. And it's directly a, a result of a broken rigged state house that in the end runs the state more than governors and any other statewide office holders. So the next question that I have, you have, you make an argument about how the filibuster shouldn't apply in the case of steps to protect democracy, that even the founders would have said no. So why do you think that? So what's, what's interesting about the, the, um, that question is, and it's something that, that most people have, don't see as part of the history built into our constitution, the founders were very worried that they were giving a lot of power to states. Mm-hmm. Now they, they, they were happy to give power to states. You know, here, they get to control electors for the presidency. They get to get, get to control the, the, the creation of most of the voting rules, time, place, and manner of elections. They get to draw district lines. Um, they worried that if states ever fell into the hand, ever became non-democratic, small d, mm-hmm. that given the power they had given to states, that those states could actually undermine the entire national democracy. And they were specifically, and they, Madison wrote about this at length. They were specifically worried that private interests, or as they called monarch, you know, monarchical interests from yeah. you know the the king of England could actually, if they ever controlled a state, that state could get corrupted in a way that they would use these levers over our elections to undermine democracy. And you look at what's happening in our country today with ALEC 
and some of the donors I mentioned and the Heritage Foundation mm-hmm. and how behind the scenes they're using these these state houses almost their their puppets to write election laws and economic regulation. It's exactly what the founders were worried about. Hmm. What is happening was the state governments are sort of the Achilles heel of American governance. And if used in the wrong way, could do a lot of damage. The founders wrote about that, Mm -hmm. but they didn't just write about it. They actually wrote a sentence in the, in the U S constitution called the guarantee clause. And that sentence says the federal government shall guarantee a Republican form of government in states. And when they read, when they wrote Republican form of government, they basically were, if you go back and look at what they meant, it was democratic governance. Mm-hmm. The so, the people were sovereign. So they literally wrote a clause in the constitution, unlike any, uh, any other in the constitution where they say, we guarantee, we must guarantee that all states will remain democratic. And they wrote that because of the risk I talked about. So if you're looking, you know, if you, if you look at this debate on the filibuster, and, you know, people can debate the filibuster in all sorts of ways. When should it apply? When should it apply? Should it ever apply? But even the people, even if people say, I think it should apply in many places, the founders would look at you and say, that's fine, but it shouldn't get in the way of our guarantee to have yeah. democratic governance in states. That's crazy. Yeah. The idea, especially when the filibuster would is basically being applied on behalf of the states that are not meeting the democratic governance requirement. You're letting the people who are literally violating that clause stop you from enforcing that clause. So the, the whole point is, you know, they understood the risk. Um, and today, again, maybe you have a lot of good faith exceptions to the, the when the filibuster or, or should be used or not. But the one very clear area where you read the constitution itself you should never let the filibuster get in your way is if you're trying to protect democracy itself in states. It makes no sense. And I hope, and I've sent this to some of the people I know in Washington, I hope they sort of do that kind of research and see that this is just no place for, for um, you know, the filibuster to stop people from doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of other reasons that it shouldn't, you know, be, be used here. You know, one is that state governments, you know, the, the whole point of filibuster is respect for the minority, right? Mm-hmm. Well, these state governments are passing voter suppression without any concern whatsoever right. for the minority exactly. voters. Yeah. Like they don't care if there's not one Democrat voting for their rigged map or mm-hmm. their voter suppression law. So if you literally, if you, if, so if they're doing that all across the country, but at the federal level, we say, well, we can't protect against attacks on democracy unless we let the very people attacking it agree with until the, they agree with us. You're playing a, a game of asymmetrical warfare that will cost us our democracy. So it's just, you know, I, I watch very frustrated and I hope if we allow this short window to close mm-hmm. without protecting voting rights and protecting mm-hmm. against gerrymandering and doing other things I mentioned in the book. It will be something that I'm afraid my four and seven year old will, will spend most of their life trying to overcome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I the next thing I want to talk about is kind of twofold. First of all, the Guardian put out a story that the U.S. has added, uh, it's been added to an annual list of backsliding democracies for the first time, and it was the International Idea Think Tank that uh, came up with this. They basically said that um, a historic turning point came in 2020 and then 2021 
uh, when former President Trump, I don't even like calling him the president, questioned the legitimacy of the election and then also the decline of quality of freedom of association and assembly during the summer of protests in 2020. And so I guess what I was just going to ask you, and you kind of already answered it, is we've got this couple of voting rights bills and we've got the uh we've got the filibuster that's kind of standing in the way and so i my question was just going to be if we can't get these passed do you think that's it no but but i do think um i do think um first of all i i hate to say it i'm glad they're they're marking us on that list if what is happening in our state houses we're t- happy another country mm-hmm. we would literally say it's sliding into autocracy yes. and away from democracy yes but because it's happening in our state capitals we don't treat it the same way and it's a huge mistake hmm. my only argument with with the group you mentioned is they're not going far enough mm-hmm. um it's not just you know the attacks on protests and the encouragement of vigilantism are part of a broader move towards autocracy uh, Trump's rhetoric is as well, but these state houses are ignoring their own constitutions. Mm-hmm. They're ignoring voted referenda by their citizens. They're attacking other office holders like secretaries of state mm-hmm. and courts that are supposed to be a check and a balance. And again, if this were happening in another country, we'd say, right. my God, that country is literally careening away from democracy. Mm-hmm. And here we don't call it that. So I'm, I'm glad they're pointing that out. So I think that I didn't mean to be too casual about my answer. I, we have to fight this at every level. Mm-hmm. So what I don't want to do is leave individual citizens with the impression that the only thing to be done is federal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do worry that without serious federal resistance to this, um, all the other work won't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the lesson is very clear. You know, in Jim Crow, the Resisted the Jim Crow movement for some time, mm-hmm. and that resistance worked. The minute they pulled back from that, mm-hmm. Jim Crow took over. So you need a robust federal resistance. Like the founders said, they guaranteed it mm-hmm. would happen. You need this Congress to protect voting rights, to protect other rights that are being attacked, you know, by that Texas law mm-hmm. uh, and others, to protect against the worst of gerrymandering, and my fear is without federal protection, all the other people like myself and you and others trying to f- rally the troops at the state level will not succeed. Hmm. The federal response is a key part of the overall response. But on the flip side, we should all be just watching D.C. I mean, one of the reasons we're in this dilemma is that we have allowed Washington to be the center of everything mm-hmm. and we have not been paying enough attention as the Koch brothers have for years right. to state houses, to yeah. local offices, to registering voters every single day, yes. to recruiting candidates every single day. So we need we need Chuck Schumer to get this through the Senate. I mean, the House has done its job, mm-hmm. um, but we also need to immediately under redefine the battle we're in as a battle for democracy, not just a battle over a few electoral college votes in swing mm-hmm. states or a few swing Senate races. It's a battle for democracy, and that means every single year we have to wage the battle in every single state. There should be no state in our country that isn't a democracy. Right. So we should be fighting this everywhere. We should be uh, running people for state house offices in every district of every state. 
giving someone an un, uh, uh, giving someone the gift of an unchallenged incumbency, mm -hmm. we right, should yeah. never do that right, because yeah. it means they they win not just the election, but they have a monopoly on information. It lets them keep doing the terrible things they're doing. So we need to redefine the whole battle is is a battle for democracy, and as a long battle. Mm -hmm. So you're doing it every single year and making progress. It, too often, Democrats we view everything we do as sort of by that cycle. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't work, we quit, we do, we start over, we yell at each other. This is a much longer battle than that, and we have to think about it that way. I want to ask you your opinion on this. Uh, so let's just say Biden and the Democrats pass the Build Back Better, and right. we start seeing you know, the benefits of that bill, whether it's broadband, um, better roads, bridges, et cetera. Do you think, because oftentimes people who are comfortable really you know don't have motivation to vote i think the democrats are thinking oh when they see that they're getting all of this benefit through us they're going to want to preserve it by running to the polls but i think i kind of right. think the opposite happens and so my you know let's just say best case scenario we do get some voting rights bills passed we get rid of that gerrymandering and make it easier for people to vote do you think that the com them feeling so comfortable will lead to apathy um i hope not i do i agree with you that that and i experienced it i ran for office statewide in 10 and 14 uh and you know, obama did an amazing yeah. job getting us out of that the the yes. great recession and, yes. and people weren't as motivated no, and that's weren't. why i think i think what they're doing on infrastructure and build back better are both essential but I think that people need to, you know, we need to have the energy of a President Obama year mm -hmm. next year. And that mm -hmm. needs to come from economic concerns, mm -hmm. but it also has to, it has to be that people realize that the stakes of 22 are every bit yeah. as much as not just any old presidential election, right. but the most presidential, but the most pivotal ones of our lifetime. Yes. I mean, if you were fired up for Barack Obama in 08 against McCain, I'm going to be very clear. The stakes of next year's election are every bit as big as Obama beating McCain in 08. Mm -hmm. So if you were fired up then, we need you fired up next year. Uh, let, let's, let's take some of these districts that are gerrymandering and turn out by such a degree that we shock and, and win some of them. Yeah. Let's not let Jim Jordan be the ju Judiciary Committee chair yes. for, for goodness sakes kevin mccarthy the total nightmare of a public servant mm -hmm. in charge and so we we really have to treat next year as mm -hmm. as you know the stakes are as big as any presidential year now, yeah by the way i love that we got rid of trump that yeah. was uh, that was a, a key moment in our history right. that we that we rejected trumpism but by letting them win all those state houses the fight for democracy mm -hmm. is was not won. no we had a we had a victory at one level but we had actually very painful losses at the mm -hmm. state level all over the country. And so the fight for democracy is still on that ballot in 22 mm -hmm. and, and 24 and, mm -hmm. and keep on going. I mean, we are, we are, we have one side that takes every victory as the opportunity not to implement their ideas, but to actually undermine democracy itself yeah. for the next campaign. And so every loss has a much bigger chance of being a permanent loss wow. than, than, you know, what, what, politics sh should ever be 
Wow. Um, okay, so before we get all depressed, <laughs> I know you spend a lot of time in the book talking about what we can do. So right. what can we do? Well, thanks. Yeah, I, I, so the, the purpose of my book is to wake people up so they feel sufficiently motivated to do something. <laughs> I don't end it on a bad note. I try and say, not only can you do something, but there are examples of people having done these things that have worked. Um, in the book, and I, you know, obviously, I, I hope people buy it because it goes through this in a lot more detail, and I mm -hmm. want people to really understand how bad the problem is and help spread the word. But right. you know, first of all, they do have to step up federally. I refuse to accept the fact that they won't. Right. Um, they have to do that at the national level. Our party, uh, I'll just say that, by the way, my book uh, tries to appeal to everyone who cares about democracy. If you're a Republican and we don't agree on everything, but you're here to fight for democracy, awesome. Let's work <laughs> together. But but uh, I'll just say the Democratic Party and other groups like them have to rethink the overall framework of the fight, like I said earlier, mm -hmm. that it's a broader battle for democracy than it's been treated in the past. Mm -hmm. It's a long game, and and that changes how they should spend money and how they should do things. They've moved in that direction a little more lately, but but the Koch brothers and those who are attacking democracy every year, they they are doing it all all the time every year. Mm -hmm. We too often are using the presidential calendar and mm -hmm. swing states to determine where we fight. Yeah. And and if they're doing it everywhere all the time, mm -hmm. and we're only doing it in some areas, they're going to win. Exactly, that's what's happening. Yeah, they're on offense. We're sometimes on defense. Mm -hmm. We're not on offense. Right. Think about it. Yeah. Trump, Biden won Virginia going away. Did they quit on Virginia? No, they just won. They right. don't. They they go in all states. They have think tanks in every state of this country: mm -hmm. Vermont, Hawaii, Connecticut, you name it. They are on offense in every state. So we have to rethink that. But then then get to the individual level. Mm -hmm. Don't let anyone. Don't let your first of all really learn up on your state house, mm -hmm. your state house member. If you have a good one who's pro-democracy, wonderful, help them. And then ask them who else you can help by volunteering, by giving. If you have someone who's voting against democracy, do not let the next do not let next election go by where they aren't fiercely challenged. Mm -hmm. Whether it's you or your most impressive friend or relative, or whether it's you know someone else, please make sure that we no longer sit on these races. It's yeah. a gift that helps them so much when we don't challenge them in all these rigged districts. And if someone's running in a really hard district, don't let that keep you from helping them. Right. If they're stepping up to run in a tough district, yes. they're actually doing something that's harder than in a close district. But it's so important to democracy that we are challenging them everywhere. Again, that's what they do. So don't just hang up the phone if you think, well, it's a 60-40 district, they can't win. Please help them. Every yes. one of those candidates, if they're out running, they're 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 carrying the message for the whole party. Mm -hmm. They're challenging in their community. And in some cases, they're lifting turnout in a way that, that even if they don't win, might help other people. One other thing I'd say, and I get into this in the book, many states, one of the key tactics to undermine democracy has been ruthless purging of voters. Mm -hmm. Brutal. Yeah. So however you can do this, and again, there are groups that register voters. And if you want to join and support them, great. But the other thing I put in the book, and, and we did this some in Ohio, and it, um, you whatever footprint you happen to have in your life, do you run a nonprofit? Are you a mayor? Are you a council member? Think about how you can use the organization you're part of mm -hmm. to register voters. Hmm. You know, and, and 
this is not some gift to some other mm-hmm. entity. If you're the mayor of a city, it should offend you that they're trying to purge your citizens. Right, yeah. Just like you want a full census count, you should want, it's good for your community that everyone's registered. So if you're the mayor of a small town or a big city, if you have rec centers, use them as a place to register. Mm -hmm. Libraries, we shouldn't just do the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. In some ways, that's not the best place to do it. It's fine, but, but, you know, they're going after poor people of color. If you have services in your bailiwick, again, nonprofit business, you run a restaurant, use the thing you do every day as a place where people can participate in democracy mm-hmm. by registering or signing up to vote earlier, et cetera. So we can't just have it be some side function. Yeah. Again, as I said earlier, they are attacking democracy every single day. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be sustaining and improving it every single day. And that means getting it into the bloodstream of everything we do. And, and by the way, rewarding, the, if, if, there's a, if there's a restaurant, and this is something that I'd love to see happen over time, and I'm happy to help try to make it happen. If there's a group of restaurants or a grocery store that's registering voters, just like in the Better Business Bureau, you, you're happy if they get good marks, right. shop there. Yeah, if they're right. helping people be part <laughs> right, of our yeah. country, support their business. Give them an extra big tip at the restaurant. I don't yeah. know, but we should be literally rethinking what we're doing. You know, I don't think if some if some company is part of Alec, don't don't use their services, but let's reward the ones that are actually doing good mm-hmm. things and helping lift democracy. So there's a lot of ideas in the book. You know, one of the biggest problems is the collapse of local journalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really leading to yeah. such low levels of awareness about state houses. So. You know, my attitude is if, if there's a paper that's covering journalism, uh, covering state houses in your in your state, don't go around the paywall. Subscribe. Mm-hmm. Reward people who are doing the things that help lift our democracy uh, in every way we can. Uh, so there's a I put, I think, yeah, 30 steps in my book about what you can do. And my hope is that um, that people take them and. There, so there's stuff that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer need to do. Mm-hmm. There's stuff that your state house caucus and state party need to do. But then I go through, there are a bunch of things that every single person can do to help sort of make their make their own life play a role in supporting democracy. And that's a really good point because, I mean, so much of the time we're focusing on punishing, boycotting. And while it's good to boycott uh, any kind of company that is promoting or giving money to the right-wing extremists, it's also good to reward. And I just want to say... Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I I, did a fundraiser, a GoFundMe, to raise money for the homeless in my area. And I'm grateful because it reached its goal today. I did it. I started it last week, and I wanted to raise $1,000, and I did. And someone quote-tweeted me and said... Something like, you know, instead of complaining about homeless people, do something. And, you know, what was really great about this uh, campaign was, and I found out when I was putting it together, that all I had to do was when I was filling out the GoFundMe, just I wrote the name of the uh, homeless shelter and it kind of popped up and I clicked it. And then I found out that I didn't have to touch the money at all, that it automatically goes into via PayPal. Uh, it goes to the shelter. So my point about this is that so often we are complaining and we are we are punishing. And instead of you know, and and, and like I said, in some cases it's good because we should cut off the you know the air to 
to the people who are supporting right-wing extremism. But we also, like you said, we have to um, recognize and reward the people who are doing what they can for a thriving democracy. That's such an important point. And it's something that when, when you, whether give money to the homeless or when you're registering voters or phone banking, um, especially when you're finished, you feel good. It feels good to help. When you punish, it's like this vindictive negative feeling in a way, but when you're rewarding, it's a positive feeling. And really it's just when the more positive we can get in our lives, the better, <laughs> you know, because it's, there's so much negativity. <laughs> there is just and then, so much The other negativity. thing I'd say is, is, you know, if you, if you know the mayor of your town, at, just without, in not a negative way, just say, "Hey, have you ever thought you should you could register voters in in your rec centers or city hall?" Yeah, like, right. Um, put it as part of the bloodstream, and, and and then when they do it, celebrate the heck out of them. But but right. if you're if you're on the board of a nonprofit, you know, a youth club or like you said, a homeless shelter, bring up, "Hey, you know what? They're purging our members. Yeah. They're purging our constituents. Let's start registering them every time someone comes through." Let's make sure we, we get the right address and help them get registered. Yeah. I mean, look at the local, look at the state laws about how you can do that the right way. Mm-hmm. But absolutely, you know, so you're not only sort of passively saying good for someone else for doing mm-hmm. it, which we should do, mm-hmm. but you're literally saying everything that I can do in my life mm-hmm. in, in anything I'm involved with, like I happen to know the council member, the school board member, or the library board member. I'm going to ask them to do this yeah. and stick with it and tell them people are doing all the country. Why don't you do it? Mm-hmm. And and we need to really be doing that because again, a key tool in these close States, Georgia, Ohio is knocking people off the rolls. I mean, I go through it in the book. It's devastating when you see the numbers of people in our large urban areas in Ohio that were purged over the last decade. They didn't move, mm-hmm. they didn't die, but they were knocked off the rolls through a, a really brutal purging process that basically would purge infrequent voters. Right. And so we need to get all those people back on the rolls. And here's wow. what I put in the book. If we just wait for the campaigns to do it, mm-hmm. they'll do it far too late mm-hmm. because of the way they're funded and they'll only get to some of the people. And so we should be doing all the work in advance mm-hmm. by kind of making it a, a, a mainstream everyday activity that we all do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, The last thing I want to ask you about is now, I mean, we're talking everything that you've written about and we've been talking about today involves voting specifically what people can do. And and you did mention the federal. So I'm just curious to know what you might think of with Merrick Garland, possible investigations into the Trump administration. And again, whether it's Merrick Garland, whether it's New York, whether it's Washington, D.C., if they're looking at his um, taxes, if they're looking at his, you know, inciting violence on one six, whatever it is, do you think that in this coming year, A, do you think we're going to start seeing more like indictments of people higher up? And if we do, the B question is, do you think it would be a motivator for people to be getting out there and voting, especially if we're seeing some of the bigger names having to pay or being held accountable for what they've yeah. done? I mean, I think, I think Merrick Garland obviously does not want to look as if it's political. And, mm-hmm. and I will say he's been, he's taken a, a pace that I don't think anyone except for, you know, the people who are going to just, be against it no matter what are going to think it's political i mean he's clearly 
he's clearly, you know, doing it a methodical by the book way, including the subpoena, enforcing the subpoena against Bannon. But I, I just don't see how you can't be seeking accountability. Like yeah. it's one thing to make sure it's clear that you're not being political, but, and I'm not going to say, I'm not saying he's going to do this, but you can't make the fear that you're going to be accused of being political, stop you from holding right. accountable people who need to be held accountable. Yes. Because if they are not held accountable, frankly, even if they are to some degree, they're going to keep going. Mm -hmm. This is a mission. I mean, Bannon and others say it, uh, they, you know, they yeah. think democracy is not consistent with freedom. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not a, and in the end, it's not legal. If you take the steps they're taking of insurrections mm -hmm. and other steps in the end, they, if they're not held accountable in a pretty dramatic way for breaking the law, or trying to overthrow our government, it, it will keep happening. So mm -hmm. I think that b being methodical is fine. Doing it in a way that you don't look political is fine, mm -hmm. but never, and I, I'm not saying they're doing this, but if anyone were to ever shy away from doing it because they think it would look political, that's when we right. are going to invite worse and worse and worse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Do you think, so, do you think that though, that, it would, and obviously, as you're saying, Garland is not making political decisions. He he's just going by the book. But right. by the book, do you think if they are going to get some indictments and some real movement on some of these people in his administration, do you think that will motivate voters, or do you think it I, will make? Do you think it'll make any difference at all? Let me just say, I I think. I think protecting democracy will motivate voters. Right. I think substantive substantive issues like everything in these plans that are being passed will motivate voters. He, here's what I'd say. I think the lack of enforcement will motivate the bad players to keep being bad. Right. So to me, it's to me that's less about motivating our side. It is more about you you if you don't hold lawbreakers accountable and insurrections accountable, the history is very clear. They will do it again. Yeah. Um, and, you know, look at Donald Trump. He's never been held accountable yeah. his entire life. Yeah. And my guess is he laughs at, the, at, at how successful he's been mm -hmm. at doing such, you know, illegal things over his life yeah. and his business and others and never paying a price. So he keeps doing it. He assumes he'll never get in trouble. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, my worry is that it's the lack of, accountability that motivates the worst behavior to never stop and only get worse. Wow. Um, and, and, and so, uh, you know, I'll just say in some ways, I think that it could, like, I'm, I don't understand why the joy is still there. I know it's right. more complicated than, than, but if you got rid of him and it put in a better postmaster general, so the mail sped up. Yeah, that could motivate, that motivate <laughs> me. Uh, people want to see their votes mean something. Right. But in terms of the wheels of justice turning um, upon insurrectionists, I think the the biggest concern is is the motivation you give to those with ill will if you don't hold them accountable. I mean, they they and and by the way, back to my state house, the book, the lack of accountability in these state houses is a is a key reason why they keep doing all that they're doing. Right. I mean, it's it's the heart of it. If if they if if you know if the people who voted that crazy that horrible Texas law on abortion, if they were if they thought they would be voted out of office right. for yeah. passing a law that most Texans don't agree with, 
they wouldn't do it, but because, or for, or for like banning drop boxes or you mm-hmm. name it. The reason they keep doing all these ridiculously awful things is because they basically aren't account, aren't held accountable and they know they're not. Yeah. And that, that I think is average behavior of legislators mm-hmm. and it's the behavior of people from Trump on down. Mm-hmm. And so the account of, I mean, the day that they are shocked, like, Oh my gosh, we were held accountable. That's right. the day that maybe, maybe right. they, they dial back some of their worst plans. Wow. Well, that's an excellent point. So again, the name of your book is Laboratories of Autocracy, A Wake-Up Call from Behind the Lines. I'm so glad you wrote this book. It's so important. And everybody really should read this to get a good idea about what's happening and what you can do. And before I let you go, why don't you tell everybody where to find you? So you can find me at Twitter at David Pepper. Uh, and you can, if you want to little, read a little more about the book, you can go to laboratoriesofautocracy.com. Uh, and that talks about me, the book, and, and also how you can, um, you can get it. And, and I'll follow. And you can also sign up to get future updates. I mean, this is going to sound, you know, pretty self-promotional, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do it because it's go important. For it. <laughs> the biggest problem here, the reason the Koch brothers love state houses is because no one knows anything about what's happening in them. Mm-hmm. That's where they can get their worst things done. Mm-hmm. And I wrote the book so pe- so that would change, so that people would actually see the, ho- the raw horror of how bad they've become. And I don't know of another place that describes it. So the reason I'm saying re- re- get the book and spread the word is we need thousands and thousands of Americans to wake up to the fact that it's just, as I say, it's the state house is stupid. Mm-hmm. That's where <laughs> they're going to get the worst stuff done. Stuff that um, if a mayor did, they'd be voted out of office. Right. Stuff that if a congressional member did, they'd be voted out of office. Mm-hmm. But stuff that because it's the state house never leads to any accountability because A, these districts are rigged and B, because no one pays attention to these places. Right. Uh, so, so please do get that book. And if, by the way, if you're listening to this and you want to have a, an, a, a Zoom meeting with your activist club or a book club, at David Pepper, my website, my Twitter feed, my mess, my DMs are open. So send me up. I'm doing them all the time, all over the country, just trying to get the word spread about how how, how bad it is and how we right. can all fight to fight back. Wow. Well, thank you for writing the book and thank you for doing that. Thank you for coming on the show. Of course, you can find me at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget that extra E at the end of my name. And I've got my books on Amazon. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for everything thank you're doing. You. All right. Well, you take care. Happy I Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. You too. Bye-bye.